I've always said, if you're looking for a pastor who has it all together, you're probably at the wrong church. If you're looking for a pastor who always thinks godly thoughts, you're probably at the wrong church. If you're looking for a pastor who has the perfect marriage and the perfect kids, you're probably at the wrong church. When I get up in the morning, contrary to popular belief, angels don't arise and start singing Amazing Grace and anoint me with the Holy Spirit to go throughout the day as super Christian. I wish it was that easy. I, I wish that everywhere I went, people were just like, look at that godly guy. But it's actually kind of the opposite. I have actually am so non-pastoral, to be honest with you, that I recently quit eating breakfast at a certain place because every time I went in there, the older lady behind the counter wanted to talk about revival with me, and it ruined my breakfast. I don't want to start my day talking about revival. I don't want to start my day breaking down the Old Testament. I don't want to hear about a Bible that drips oil and this and that and all these things and how 500 people are getting baptized in water in Dawsonville, and I'm not saying that any of that stuff's wrong, and I'm not saying I don't believe in any of that stuff. I just don't want to hear it while I'm eating my biscuit and gravy. I'm just not the best pastor. I don't do real good at putting on a fake smile and faking it. That being said, if you're looking for a pastor to come stand beside you and walk along with you through this crazy journey, or should I say this crazy adventure called life, Action Church might be the church for you. I simply just don't have it all together. And you know what I think sad about that? Is all pastors don't have it all together. But most of them can never say what I just told you for fear of losing their jobs. They could never get up on stage and say, hey, my wife and I are going through some difficult times right now. I need you to be there for me. Because the board would come to them afterwards and say, man, sorry you and your wife are going through some difficult times you probably need to step down. They could never get up on stage and say, man, I I'm struggling right now. I've just got in this routine. I didn't mean to, man, but, but I'm drinking a little too much to cope with all the stress in life because instead of their board coming around them and saying, hey, let us walk through you in this journey, they'd lose their job. So what happens is, is pastors all over the country have to learn how to live life literally faking it so they can get through life. What a sad thing. <laughs> that they would literally get fired for saying they're human. And not only do I come to you and tell you I'm human, we're actually taking it a whole nother level, and we're doing a series where I just confess some things to you. They say confession is good for the soul, and it's bad for the ego. Because it lets you know we're flawed. It lets you know, hey, I'm tracking with you. But I think this series is so important because I think especially in our country, we have a culture of where we've taken pastors and we've put them up on this pedestal and they've become more than pastors. In many cases, they've become mini-gods. And that's so unbiblical. 
We have expectations for our pastor because he's the pastor that we ourselves would never dream about holding ourselves to. And I figure if I'm struggling with some things, then chances are you're struggling with the things. And the difference is most pastors would never admit they're struggling with them. So what happens is the people in the seats think, man, there must be something wrong with me because I'm struggling with it. And really that's not the case. The case is your pastor doesn't have the testicular fortitude to get up on stage and say, hey, man, I struggle in life. There's about six of you that are awake. I get that it's fall break. I get that a lot of you are heading out of town. I get a lot of you are kind of in resignation mode to the fact that you had the kids all week. I get that a lot of you stayed up late watching that Georgia-Notre Dame game. I get that a lot of you were here at a wedding last night late and you're a little bit tired, but let's wake up today, okay? I ain't nothing worse than being up here on an island by yourself. So I'm going to count to three and we're going to say amen, okay? One, two, three. All right, that's good. Listen, if the Georgia Bulldogs are on right now, you'd be excited. So wake you're sorry, but uh, I had friends on Facebook. The game started at 8 o'clock last night, and I woke up at 9 in the morning, and they were on the way to Athens to start partying. And we're going to drag into church like we're tired. The Bible says in James 5, 16, it says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The Bible says instead of faking it till we make it, How about we just get honest, which is something that's really hard for the church nowadays, but we get honest and we admit to one another, hey, I don't have it all together. Hey, I struggle in this area. Hey, I'm battling in this area. Hey, this area right now is hard for me. I'm coming to you not for you to judge me. I'm not coming to you to look down upon me. I'm not coming to you to make me feel bad about what I'm going through. I'm confessing my faults to you. So check it out so you can pray for me so that I can be healed of what I'm struggling with. Wow, what an amazing concept. We complicate restoration. Hey, you screwed up, man. We got to go through this 27-step. No, it just says confess it. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. It's not complicated. Quit complicating it. So what I'm doing in this series, I'm just confessing some things to you. And I've confessed the first week that, man, I really don't have the best prayer life. And I know that kind of freaks you out as your pastor because you want me to pray for you. And I told you I pray for you. But I just told you prayers, they struggle for me. There's times that I just struggle praying. And I walked you through how we get through that and how I've overcome that. Last week, I talked to you about the fact there's times in my life that I doubt God. I wish I could get up here and tell you that I understand everything that God does and I never question God and I know, man, he's God and he's in control and that's good enough. But sometimes in life things happen, especially when bad things happen to good people. I just don't understand and I question God. And there's times in life I doubt God. And I shared with you some steps on how I've learned to move past my doubt, how it's okay to doubt, but eventually we've got to put faith into place. Today's confession, if you're a regular attender to Action Church, is really not going to shock you, especially if you know me. But if you're not a regular attender and you brought somebody with you, they're probably going to tell you after this service, you need to leave that church. 
Because here's the deal. They're not going to be able to deal with the rest of the sermon where I tell you how I deal with this. They're just going to be shocked by the confession. Now, here's the deal. I'm an all-out sold out for Jesus Christ. I'm smoking what I'm selling when it comes to Jesus. Man, I believe he is the way, he's the truth, and the life. I believe no man comes to the Father except through Jesus. But while I love Jesus Christ, I can't stand most Christians. Pastoral confession number three. I have given my life to the church. I have given my life to what I feel God has called me to do, which is pastoring people. I have spent the large majority of my life taking non-Christians and pointing them to Jesus where they become Christians. So it's kind of a weird thing when I say, man, this is what I feel called to do in life, but the reality is that I just can't stand most Christians. Notice the wording I use there because it almost convicts me because I didn't say I can't stand some Christians. I said I can't stand most Christians. As a matter of fact, I dare say, and this almost embarrasses me as the pastor to say, I, I dare say I almost struggle with hatred towards most Christians. I'm just the type of person who is much more comfortable around a foul mouth, woman-chasing, beer-guzzling heathen than I am some self-righteous, narrow-minded, judgmental, hypocritical Christian. And the sad part is, I don't really feel bad about this confession. <laughs> I was reading a book recently by the pastor of one of the largest churches in America. The church, excuse me, the largest churches in the world. The church is in Korea, and he has around 250,000 people. Did you hear what I just said? 250,000 people who attend his church. In this book, he said he prays every day for six hours a day. Hmm. I think that his confession, if he did a series like this, would not be, I don't really like to pray. He would be the opposite of me. I don't know that I pray six hours a week. And this man, this godly man, this man who God has blessed with two 150,000 people attending his church pray six hours a day, every day. This godly man. In an interview, he was asked, why do you pray six hours a day? And I loved his answer. He said, my church is so large, and there's so many people in it that I hate that I have to pray long every day to be able to minister to them. He said, there's so many people in my church that I just can't stand that if I'm ever going to be the pastor they need me to be, it takes me about six hours a day in prayer to get in tune with them. That's pretty intense. I know that doesn't sound very godly for a pastor to say, but what he's saying is, as I just can't stand... Most Christians, I, I could give you a, 
a, a thousand different reasons why they drive me crazy. But I like to put things in nice little neat categories. And there's just different types of Christians that I don't like. The first one is I just don't like the judgmental Christian. The judgmental Christians. They act holier than thou, you know. They look down on every single thing that you do. They're the ones that told you you need to get into church, but when they found out you got into action church, they judged you. These are the type of Christians that you don't have a clue what they're for, but you know everything they're against. They love to point out all your sins, especially when you sin differently than they do. The judgmental Christian. And then there's the church-bashing Christian. He's the Christian that attends a church, and no other church is right but his church. If your church looks different, acts different, has a different name, says anything contrary to what his church does, and his church only runs about 20 people, because they're the only 20 people who are right about what goes on in the Bible. They run 20 people because they don't compromise and bring that worldliness into the church. We brought that rock music in. We'd have a lot of people too. No, you wouldn't. You can't preach to save your life. It don't matter what you do. You ain't going to draw anybody. There's another category, angry street preacher Christian. You know, the guy stands on the street corner at the Braves game and bashes everything. There's a lot of people like that, even if they don't stand on They're just angry people. God hates everything. The Bible over and over says God is love, but they all they talk about is what God hates. You know, it's crazy. That they, big, they use big words to make you feel dumb, like they'll stand on the street corner and call everybody a whoremonger. What's a whoremonger? It just means slut. Call them a slut. 2019. You know, we're not impressed with your big King James words. Hypocritical Christian. I can't stand that one. They preach against you, but they're secretly doing the same thing. The key is it's done in secret, they think. Are they the ones that will raise Cain? I always get a kick out of this one. They'll raise Cain about drug abuse, but they're overweight and won't worry about what the Bible says about gluttony. Oh, did I say that? Oh, did I say that? Standing too close, preacher? Standing too close? Hypocritical preacher? They're the ones that abash the guy over here who's having an affair, but you know, but they have a $2,000 porn machine in their house. The only thing they know how to do on it is play solitary and look at porn. You know, it's amazing, the hypocritical Christian. And, and then there's just the weird Christian. Like, let's just be honest. Christians can be weird. I mean, they can just be weird. Like, watch them on TV sometimes. They're weird. Like, like. I don't get how they dress and how they talk and their helmet hair and the big poofy pink hair. It's just, they're just weird. Like, I've been watching this show on HBO. If you're not watching it, you're missing out on the funniest show on television. It's called The Righteous Gemstones. Does anybody watch The Righteous Gemstones? You should all repent and get right with God right now. 
It's Danny McBride. It's vulgar. It's funny. It's hilarious. And it's about these TV evangelist family. And it, it hits close to home. I, every time I watch them, I go, oh, I know a guy like that. And, and they're just weird. Christians are just weird, man. They're just weird. Like Christians can't even bring, like, let me get political for a minute. Let me get locally political for a minute. So, you know, our city tried to pass an entertainment district, and you could, entertainment district meant in downtown you could walk around with a drink. So you could go into downtown kitchen, you could buy a drink, and you could go shopping while you carry your drink, God forbid. And, um, and I get people are opposed to that. Cool, be opposed to it. But the Christians were the weirdest ones in their opposement to it. So, like, they showed up, and they did this big prayer circle in front of City Hall. And I'm not against prayer, but it was just weird. Like, you're praying that people can't walk around with a beer. It was just weird. And then if I'm lying, I'm dying. They got up, and this one little girl said, I go to such and such church, and I'm a Christian. And this is what she said. She said, I'm scared. She had a newborn baby. She said, I'm scared to bring my baby to downtown Canton if people walk around with a beer. Then you're weird. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to belittle you, but like, you're weird. And then if I'm lying, I'm dying. A pastor got up and said he had just got back from Myrtle Beach and that if we allowed people to walk around with beer on Main Street three blocks, that we were going to turn in to Myrtle Beach where women were flashing people from their cars, men were peeing on telephone booths, and running around naked. And I was like, like, that's the best argument you could come up with. You're just weird. Like, people thought I was getting mad that they were against it. I believe everybody's got a right to their opinion. But if that's your argument, you're weird. So then if I'm lying, I'm dying. The next person got up, Christian, pastor, and how this correlation happened, I don't know. He said, if we, I didn't even know these were still a thing. He said, if we allow alcohol on the streets of Canton, he would feel much more comfortable if we outlawed nunchucks and brass knuckles because that would follow suit and there would be a tax on Main Street. Like, I'm not saying this in a bragging way. I have drank a lot of alcohol in my life. And I have been in some situations that I probably was deep in sin. I drank too much. I'm just going to be honest with you. And never once have I been drunk and been like, I need some brass knuckles. <laughs> like, never once have I had too much to drink and been like, man, you know what I need right now? Some, some nunchucks. Like, that's just weird. Christians are weird. I can't stand most Christians. They're weird. Like, why can't you just say, man, I think it leads to alcoholism, and I think this, and I think that we're opening up. Like, there's plenty of great arguments on being opposed to it. Nunchucks and brass knuckles are not one of them. And with all due respect to Canton, and I love this city, we ain't turning into Myrtle Beach. I wish we had a beach. Okay? What? Like, like that's the best logic you have? This girl was like, when I go to downtown Woodstock, I'm fearful for my life. What? Like, I'm not even trying to belittle her, but like, what? What? 
You're scared in downtown. I, I love downtown Woodstock because I can get some pizza, go down three stores and get a taco, go get a beer, go over and get some chicken wings, go over here and listen to some. Like, it's fat guy heaven. I have never thought about getting stabbed in Woodstock. Now, to be fair, I don't like a lot of Christians, but to be fair, they don't like me either. I get that. It's fair. <laughs> There's even some Christians in this church that probably don't like me. But matter of fact, I got to be honest with you. There's one Christian in this church that I really dislike the most. This person drives me crazy. And Jerry's the one. <laughs> There's that one person that I just don't like how they act. I don't like the way they talk. I don't like sometimes their mindset. And, and here's the deal. That Christian I don't like is me. There's so many times in my walk with God and my walk with my faith, I just don't like the hypocrite I am. I don't like, no matter how hard I try to keep it real, so many times I can fall to that trap of being fake. I, I struggle sometimes living the life God has called me and wants me to live. And I got to be honest with you, there's times it drives me nuts. There's times I say things, and I'm like, why did I say that? There's times I do things, and I'm like, why did I do that? And, and that's a confession that would get a lot of pastors fired. The deal is I can't be fired. Grady, if you ever start in the church, make sure you set it up like that. Can't fight me fire. Now, you can quit coming every week, and if no one came, we'd close it down. But I started this church and said, man, here's the deal. I'm going to start this church, and the ones that are going to come are going to accept flaws and all. My prayer day is at the end of this service. We'll see how our own lives measure up and our walk with God, and we can check ourselves instead of getting so frustrated with other Christians that we don't like. Instead, we're checking ourselves and realizing the Bible says every man must give an account for himself. I've got to make sure that I like me, and I like my walk, and quit worrying about the walks of those I don't like. Bono, the lead singer of U2, said, Christians are hard to tolerate. I don't know how Jesus does it. I'm going to do a little bit different today. I'm going to read a little bit to you, and I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to read a little bit to you, and I'm going to talk about it. I just want to go through the story in Mark chapter 3. The Bible says another time Jesus went into the synagogue. It says, I observed the life of Jesus over and over and over. You'll see that Jesus was getting infuriated with the religious people of the day. They drove him crazy. He was getting in their faces here about their actions. So another time Jesus went to the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them, them being the religious some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. So Jesus has rolled up in the church. It's the Sabbath. He's about to preach. He's about to heal. He's about to be about the will of the Father. This was a regular occurrence with Jesus. The Bible, the Bible says over and over when Jesus rolled up, he taught, he healed and he was about the father's business. So he rolls up in there, and the place is packed out with people, and it's packed out with religious people. And the Bible says the religious people were always looking for a way to trip up Jesus. They were always looking for a way to discredit Jesus. They were looking for a way to always blast Jesus for his methods. 
And over and over and over, Jesus gets in their grill. Man, is that not just like the religious of today? Always looking for a reason. They don't like what somebody else is doing. They don't care the impact that it's making. They don't cross their T's and dot their I's like we do. So instead of rejoicing in the lives that are being changed through that ministry, we're going to bash that ministry. Man, the religious suck. We're the only army that shoots our own. Jesus was bold. He was aggressive. And he had no problem standing up to the religious people because he'll never was going to allow the religious judgmental people to keep someone from coming to know him. At Action Church, we take a lot of abuse from the religious, and that's okay. Let me make this very clear to you. That's okay. Because we're never going to allow the religious, the self-righteous, the hypocritical, the judgmental to keep us from doing what God called us to do. And we're called to create environments for those who don't know God can come in and meet God. And that's what we do. I used to argue with them. I used to fight with them. I don't care anymore. Because I'm not coming down from the wall, as Nehemiah said. We're doing a good work. Why should we come down to answer those that really don't want to reason anyway? Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. I find it interesting in this scripture that, that uh, Mark doesn't go into a lot of detail about the man's hand. He, he doesn't go into how it became shriveled. I don't know if he had an accident. I don't know if he was born that way. I don't know if something happened to him, if he had a disease that made his hand become shriveled. At the end of the day, I don't think Mark really cared how his hand became shriveled. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Mark didn't care how he got to the point of having a need. He just had a need. I said Mark didn't care how he got to the point of having a need. He just had a need. <laughs> we worry too much sometimes about how people got to the shape they're in instead of worrying about the shape they're in. I wonder why they need food from the food pantry. How'd they get in that situation? Got money for this, this, and this. It's none of your business. They're hungry. Shut up. We got a room full of food. Well, I don't understand how they need help with this when they're doing this, this, and this. Shut up none of your business they have a need well they just keep struggling with addiction if they quit hanging out with these people on that but and everything you're saying let me make this clear you're right but how they got there is not important how the man's hand got shriveled is not important the reality was his hand was shriveled he had a need and it's our job to meet needs we don't know if he was born that way we don't know what happened but Jesus had compassion on this man, and he healed him. So many of you want to diagnose the problem. And sometimes you just got to meet the need. Every year we do a Thanksgiving giveaway. It's my big, probably my, my biggest pet peeve around here. That one thing that just irritates the Hades out of me. We'll do a Thanksgiving giveaway, and we feed families. And every year, we'll feed 
500, 600,000. I think one year we fed 2,500 families. And every year somebody will take advantage and they'll get back in line again. And every year, one of you will act like a jackass over it. They've already been through the line. Who cares? It's an $11 meal. You're going to let the entire day be ruined because you felt like one person took advantage of the system? I'm sure there's areas where you've taken advantage of the system. Who cares? Like, what is in you that is so miserable that you can't just look at the need? Maybe they need them two crappy turkeys. Maybe they need those two boxes of uh, Kroger stuffing. Maybe they need those four cans of cream corn. Like, who cares? And every single year, I will argue with one of you and literally send you home. Because you're worried about how they got in that situation. They were here last year with the same problem. Yeah, they were. They were. And guess what? They'll be back this year. And as long as I'm the pastor of this freaking church, they'll leave with a Thanksgiving meal. See, so many of you are more interested in diagnosing the problem than pointing people to Jesus. When we become the church that is more interested in the sin than the sinner, we got a problem. It didn't matter how his hand got that way. Jesus saw him, and he took compassion on him. In every church, you'll see two types of people that deal with this. You'll see those interested in lending a hand so people can meet Jesus, and then you'll see those that are interested in just pointing a finger saying, well, that's why you're in that situation. Let me give you a newsflash. Grady, back me up on this. When people are in a bad situation, they know how they got there. They don't need your reminder. They don't need you throwing it in their face. They need you to point them to Jesus. That's why I can't stand most Christians. In this story, the religious people are gathered around to hear Jesus teach his message. But listen, they're not gathered around so they can learn. They're gathered around so they can criticize. Man, we live our lives looking to criticize instead of assist. These people had all these laws you had to follow, and one of the laws was you can't heal on the Sabbath. Guy's got a crippled hand. Do you think he cares that it's the Sabbath? Well, there should be any day you ought to be meeting needs. It ought to be the Sabbath. Some of them were looking, verse 2, for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Some of the people who should have been the closest to Jesus were the farthest away from him. Those who had the most head knowledge, that knew the law backwards and forward, the religious of the day had the least heart knowledge. God's not impressed with your knowledge. He's impressed with your heart. He was to see you making an impact. These guys literally had huge chunks of the Bible memorized by heart. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. They had these, they memorized word for word. 
That's so much knowledge, yet so little action. They couldn't live out what they knew. We got to ask ourselves all the time, are we living a life of service? Or are we living a life of finding fault in everything around us? What a miserable way to live. We're called to love people, not judge people. And what's so funny is it's so easy to point out everyone else's faults, but God forbid somebody opened up the skeletons in our closet. Just because you sin differently, or you sin more privately, or you ain't got caught yet, don't give you a right to sit up on your high horse judging why the hand was crippled. <laughs> Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. I like this. Now, you need to understand this man had a disease. He had a shriveled hand. He was an outcast in that day. He was looked down upon. A lot of people would have thought he had that shriveled hand because, because he was unworthy. They would have thought he had that shriveled hand because of his sin. Jesus says, stand up in front of everybody. Jesus is always bringing to the front those that the religious push to the back. I said, Jesus is always bringing to the front those that religious was pushing to the back. The religious looked at this man as defiled. They judged him as a sinner. <laughs> but Jesus gave him honor among the crowd. Look, look throughout the gospel. You'll see that Jesus is always giving honor to those that were given dishonor. He hung out with prostitutes. He hung out with drunks. He hung out with the outcast of the day. Most of the people that Jesus hung out with wouldn't even feel accepted in the average church today. He called a bunch of fishermen. He said, follow me. He told David, you're going to be the king when David was just a teenage boy. We need to be a church that is always looking out for the overlooked. I want us to be known as the church that loves no matter what. And some of you need to realize, you can set boundaries up in your life. You can even cut people out of your life and still love them. Some of you got to get to the point where you hate them before you do that. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is do that. It's our job to love. It's our job to love. <laughs> if you're a Christian and you attend Action Church, let me give you some news today. We didn't design this church for you. We're glad you're here. If you understand the mission of why we designed this church. We created this church for outsiders to become insiders. Once those outsiders become insiders, their mission in life needs to become to reach more outsiders to become insiders. We're never going to cater to the already convinced. We're always going to do church for those with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. We're always going to do church for the unchurched. We're always going to run everything through that lens because here's the deal. There's plenty of churches they already convinced can go to and feel comfortable. You come to this church, you come to this church with the mindset of a missionary that we're willing to do whatever it takes to reach people. We preach Jesus so people can meet Jesus. Once they meet Jesus... 
We show them how to reach more people for Jesus. It's just a circle. It's not real complicated. The Bible says, for the Son of Man, Luke 19, 10, came to seek and to save the lost. That's why Jesus came. He didn't come to teach. He didn't come to perform miracles. All those things were byproducts of pointing people to Jesus, to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why we exist. We will never apologize for that. We'll never compromise on that. The day that I feel we start to drift away from that is the day that I'll stand up here and tell you I love you and God bless you. I'm moving on. Because I don't want to be part of a holy huddle. I don't want to be part of a Christian country club. I want to be part of a group of people who are on the front lines snatching people from the gates of hell. I want to be part of a church that's doing whatever it takes short of sin to reach those that are down and out. That's creating an environment where even if people don't believe there is a God can come through those doors, sit in these seats and know that God loves them, we love them, and what? There's nothing they can do about it. They can be angry, they can be mad, they can hate us for it, but they're going to leave here saying, I don't agree with those idiots and they're nuts, but dang, they love me. We're not apologizing. Jesus looked at the religious and he said in verse 4, what is lawful, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. I dig Jesus. He had a way of asking questions. Wait, so I should just leave his hands shriveled up because it's the Sabbath? Leave him dead and leave him as an outcast because it doesn't fit your system? And as always, when you confront the religious with the truth, they remain silent. They didn't know what to say. I know the perception of Jesus is he's a mild-mannered dude with a great perm carrying a little baby around. But Jesus was confrontational. He couldn't stand getting in the face of the religious. He asked them the question. How many of you know someone who won't have anything to do with church, even if you paid them to come because of their experience with other Christians and other churches? Religion takes what God intended to help people and hurts them. Religion takes your personal preference and makes it a biblical principle. Let me repeat that. Religion takes your personal preference and makes it a uh, biblical principle. Religion is more interested in your preferences than what's going to reach people for Jesus. I just don't like the music so loud. That's cool. That's cool. Awesome. I get it. Loud music is not everyone's thing. But that's a preference. What if that loud music was a thing that reached your grandchild for the cause of Christ? I'm just saying. I just wish we would get more dressed up on Sunday. Cool. I like to get dressed up. I got dressed up last night. Suit ties look like a pimp. I like it. But what if your daughter who's an addict and strung out is going to relate much more to a person who shows up in blue jeans and a t-shirt and flip-flops and says, can I help you, than someone that she feels is unapproachable because of the dress they have on? I'm just asking. Far too many Christians are involved in religion, which is their preferences. Did you know there's a lot of things that happen at Action Church that, that aren't my preference? I know you think it's the Gary's. It's not. There's a lot of things we do around here I don't like. Phil started the service today with a casting crown song. I hate casting crowns. 
I can't stand casting crowns. He knows I hate casting crowns. He knows I cannot stand their music. But guess what? The song fit with the service. not about my preference. It's about creating an environment where everything flows together, where the message is how we should live. Then Jesus asked them what is lawful on the Sabbath to be good or do evil, save or to kill, but they remain silent. Christians love to yell about other people's sins instead of helping people with their sins. I hear preachers get up all the time and talk about how sinful it is to do this and sinful it is to do that and sinful it is to do this and sinful. And you know what? They're probably right. What they're talking about is sinful is sinful. But all they do is identify the problem and they never identify the solution. Anybody can tear something down. But it takes a specialized person to build something. They just water it down over at Action Church. I guarantee you we preach more Bible than the average church. I guarantee you I call sin, sin more than the average church. The difference is I've built relationships where I can say what I can say. The difference is I'm going to be there in your darkest day, and I've earned the right to say what I say. Someone got mad at me yesterday. They said, you said this to her, and you were kind of right. I said, I've earned the right to say what I said to her. I've been in her life 10 years. But you hurt her feelings. I said, I don't care. I hurt her feelings. She'll be over in two seconds because she knows when she screws up again, I'll be there. Man, we, we got to figure it out. Verse 5, he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to them, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Jesus didn't care what the religious said. He was all about the mission that he had. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot how they might kill Jesus. <laughs> Ain't that awesome? Jesus said, I don't care what the religious say. I'm going to heal people because I'm called to earth to do that. And they talked about how they're going to kill him. Listen, the religious are always going to hate what this is about. It's okay. They're never going to understand what this is about. They're not going to understand a church that feeds people and clothes people and houses people and provides places for addicts to have meetings. They just don't get it. And I used to try to convince them, and now I don't. Because that's a waste of my time. I can spend all my time trying to convince instead of doing. We just do what we do. So what we've got to do, and we're going to get out of here, we have got how do we make sure we're in tune and not being what we hate? Because, again, I'm not responsible for how you act. I'm responsible for how I act. So if I want to not hate most Christians, I need to make sure I'm starting with me and making sure that I'm not acting like most Christians. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to check ourselves. We're going to check ourselves. The Bible says, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Here's what I want to encourage you to get honest with yourself. I want you to look yourself in the mirror and be real, real honest about your walk with God. I want you to be real, real, real honest about your heart in regards to Action Church. Do you intend here to take or do you intend here to give? Do you attend here because it's easy and it's the place to be or do you attend here because you believe in the vision? You have to check yourself. Do you catch yourself judging everyone around you? Isn't it funny that we attend to accuse others but excuse ourselves? So I just want you to be honest. Check yourself. Don't come to me. I don't do confessional. I don't want to hear it. But check yourself. 
I don't know. I think they call that an AI, personal inventory. Take a personal inventory. I might have got that terminology wrong. But it's important. You've got to take a personal inventory of your walk with God, your heart when it comes to God. Quit blaming everyone else and accusing everyone else and excusing your crappy actions. Second thing you've got to do is you've got to know that it's about others. Listen to me. Life is not about you. Do nothing, Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than ourselves, yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interest of others. Love wins here. When all else fails, love. Serve other people. Quit thinking about what's best for you and start thinking about what's best for others. The church judges instead of loves. We shoot our wounded. We stop caring. The Bible says in Luke 6, 31, do to others as you would have them do to you. Try being loving. We're going to check ourselves, and we're going to remind ourselves that it's not about others. And then lastly, and we're done, and we're going home, we're going to remember why the church exists. Matthew 16, 18 says, On this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not overcome it. The church has lost touch with the world. Some Christians think they can make it without the church. People start thinking when they do come to church, the church is here for us. This church is not here for you. It's for others. The Bible says in Acts 2, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions is good. They gave to anyone who had need. You need to understand why the church exists. The church exists to make outsiders insiders. I believe the church exists to worship. We can worship in heaven. If it exists to worship, God could have just taken us own home. Now, we worship. That's a part of the church. But it doesn't exist to worship. The only thing on earth that we can't do in heaven is bring people to Jesus. I, I just believe it exists for fellowship. We can fellowship in heaven. Streets of gold. I got a mansion. Come on, we can fellowship up there big time. But once we get to heaven, we can't bring outsiders and make them insiders. Church exists to be on mission. Whose mission? Mission of Jesus. What was Jesus' mission? Seek and save that which was lost. We have a mission here to reach outsiders. I've been blown away by how many newcomers are going. This is a good crowd for fall break. There's a cool thing happening here. And you know what's happening? I'm going to tell you, and it's going to offend some of you that have been here for a while. There's new people coming in. And guess what the new people are doing? They're bringing other new people. Because they're still excited about what goes on around here. It hasn't got stale to them yet. They haven't heard all my eight sermons 40 times. They're still, they haven't gotten over that feeling of the first time they walked in. For you that have been here for a long time, I love you. When was the last time you invited an outsider to be an insider? Or, have you changed your life where you're only hanging around insiders? That's a dangerous thing, too. Now, I love you fellowshipping with each other and doing life with each other, but, but never get to the point where they're outsiders are not in your life. Remember, we're called to be salt and light. Salt and light. Light doesn't do any good if it's not around darkness, and salt doesn't do any good if it's not around something that needs savoring. We're on a mission to go out and take outsiders and make them insiders. Hey, the best way to, to get to the point where you, you get past not being able to stand most Christians is focus on yourself and make sure you can stand yourself. 
Check yourself. Remember, it's about others. Remember why this church exists. 